The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It sounds like a lot, and it's... More. A talent is about, oh, 20 years' wages for a laborer. So 10,000 talents would be, what, 200,000 years of wages? If I do the math right, at a minimum wage in Idaho, that comes to around $3 billion. And that's if the servant is only making minimum wage. The amount of debt that this guy has is staggering. And the king has apparently given the man a massive line of credit and latitude before calling him to account. And this will come as no surprise to you, but the man can't pay the debt. He's about, oh, 10,000 talents short. So the king orders that he be sold into slavery along with his wife and his kids. Now, this isn't going to cover the debt. The guy can't have that many children. But it will recoup a little money into the royal coffers. More importantly, it will send a message to the rest of the debtors who are out there. 
It also comes as no surprise that the servant does not want to be sold into slavery with his wife and kids. So he begs the king, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Now, please, no one believes a word coming out of his mouth. He is not going to pay the king everything. He doesn't have enough time left in the world to raise that kind of cash. It's hard enough to lose that much money in a lifetime, far less gain it all back. Nevertheless, he asks for patience, which is a ridiculous ask. And beyond that, look at the optics for the king. What sort of message would the king send to all the debtors out there if he agreed to the request? Let this guy off the hook, and all sorts of debtors are going to get very unserious about making up what they owe. But this is a parable about the kingdom of heaven, so of course the king does the ridiculous thing. He releases the man and forgives the debt in total. The account is zeroed out. The man is free because the king has said he doesn't owe anything at all. It's time for a fresh start, but old habits die hard. The man leaves the king and runs into a fellow servant who owes him a hundred denarii. It's not nothing. That's a hundred days' pay. But that's a manageable debt that his debtor can realistically pay off. The three billion dollar man, however, has no patience whatsoever. And his friendly greeting to his fellow servant is seizing him and choking him. This man also asks for patience but there's no patience to be found, and the man throws his debtor into prison until the debt is repaid. I'm going to confess that I have not done a lot of research on first century prisons, but I'm guessing that the opportunities to earn serious cash are rather limited. The unmerciful servant is cutting off his nose to spite his face. Where he could possibly be repaid, he'd rather inflict suffering on the one who owes him. Well, the king hears about all this, and he summons the unmerciful servant back. You wicked servant, he says, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then he throws that man into prison until he should pay off his debt, which means he's not getting out of prison. That's the end of the story. At the start, the king was extraordinarily merciful, and you had this brief hope of a kingdom in which citizens were merciful to each other. But since the king's mercy is rejected, you end up in a kingdom where eventually there is only justice. The king continues to reign, and the debtors, they end up paying the price for their debts, for their errors, for their sins. Three quick things about this parable before we get into some applications. First off, of course, this isn't about financial debts. It is about sin. Jesus tells this parable when Peter asks him if forgiving a brother seven times is enough. Second, this is one of those parables where Jesus explains the meaning on the spot and he makes clear that it's about forgiveness. He says, 
so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Third, the parable omits a bit of the story. If we want to fill out the missing piece, when the king forgives the unpayable debt, he says to his servant, I'm setting your debt aside because I have thrown my own beloved son into the grave to pay it. See, it's not that the debt doesn't matter. It's that the king has suffered the payment personally and painfully. That's what makes the unmerciful servant's lack of mercy even worse. And if God has sacrificed his only son on a cross and into a tomb so that you might be forgiven your debt for sin, that only makes your refusal to forgive others even worse. Let's face it, though. You don't always forgive those who have sinned against you. And you don't always want to. Part of this is because of the blindness of sin. Every now and then, you're going to do something that you actually feel bad about. Though most of your daily sins have become such a habit that they don't bother you a whole lot. And when you do feel bad about them, even then you might well be worried about what it's going to cost you or how much you've hurt other people. In other words... It is rare for sinners to be all that worked up about how much they have offended God. Let me remind you again that your sinfulness before God is something that you take on faith. Thanks to the blindness of sin, you really have no concept of how offensive your sins are to the Lord or how holy and sinless He is. By the work of the Holy Spirit, though, You acknowledge your sins, and you call upon the Lord for forgiveness. And the Lord responds by forgiving you all your sins, setting that enormous and still accruing debt aside. He says to you, I've given my son to the cross and tomb to pay your debt, and so I forgive you all your sins. Now, what sort of message does that send? You would hope that anyone who is forgiven for so much is going to be quick to forgive others. Because no matter the sins against you, they're really nothing compared to your sins against God. You would hope that no one would take the Lord's forgiveness so lightly and think they deserve such mercy as to keep holding grudges and refusing to forgive others. Thankful for the Lord's forgiveness... You should be so quick to forgive those who sin against you. You would hope. Yet Jesus sees the need to say, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. A sinful heart finds all sorts of reasons not to forgive. Maybe it's pride that you're tempted to think too highly of yourself and easily forget how much you've been forgiven. Maybe it's because someone's sins against you make you feel like a victim whose sins are justifiable, or at least make you feel less guilty about them. Or the motive might be worse, 
like the desire to use someone else's sins as leverage to make them do what you want. All of this is so destructive. It has a destructive effect that ripples out far past just you and the one you won't forgive. It burns bridges, and it encourages your heart to harden. It contradicts the gospel by example, and it hardens your heart as it encourages bitterness over mercy. It leads to your own undoing. See, when Jesus says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart, we could rephrase him to say this, When you do not forgive the one who sins against you, you are choosing to hold on to sin. You are choosing to hold on to your debt. And so your heavenly Father will have no choice but to keep you out of heaven because you refuse to be forgiven. The law is pretty clear. As one forgiven for so much, you should forgive others. Refusing to forgive others is one of the most self-destructive, faith-destructive things that you can do. Now, let's answer a couple of very important questions that tend to pop up. The first is this. Do I have to forgive someone who isn't sorry for what they've done? The answer is yes, but this is something to explore a little. If I can get egghead for a moment here, we make an important distinction between objective and subjective justification. Briefly, objective justification is the truth that Jesus died for the sins of the world. He died for the sins of people who will never repent of their sin, even though they will never make use of that forgiveness. Subjective justification is the truth that the one who repents and trusts in Jesus is forgiven. It's a helpful distinction. Take, for example, some terrible historical figure like, oh, Vlad the Impaler. Did Jesus die for his sins? Does he forgive the sins of Vlad? Objectively, yes, Jesus has died for the sins of all. Is Vlad in heaven? Unless the history books fail to record his repentance, no. It's not because Jesus didn't offer forgiveness, but because Vlad rejected the forgiveness Jesus offered. This really is a helpful distinction in a lot of areas. For instance, if I preach a sermon to a crowd and some believe and some do not, does that mean that the Holy Spirit only offered forgiveness to some? No, because Jesus died for all, and the Spirit works to offer forgiveness to all. Not all are forgiven because some reject the gift. So, back to our question. Do you have to forgive someone who isn't sorry? The answer is yes. As Christ has died for all, even those who will never be sorry, so you should also forgive because you have been forgiven so much. But this doesn't mean that they are forgiven. In fact, in a theoretical conversation with such a one, you'd want to communicate something like, I forgive you because Jesus forgives us. 
and I hope that you will repent so that you might know God's forgiveness too. In this careful exercise of the office of the keys, you reflect your Savior. By the way, we should make clear that forgiveness is not the same as trust. Sometimes you get a whiny individual who says, if you really forgive me, then you'll also trust me. This is not so. Forgiveness is given. Trust is earned. The Bible is full of verses that say the Lord forgives us, but I can't think of one verse that says that God trusts us. If you borrow my car and wreck it, I need to forgive you. But if you ask to borrow the keys to the replacement vehicle, the answer is going to be no. The second question is this. What if I can't forgive someone who has sinned against me? Jesus' words here sound pretty clear that God will not forgive me. This is an especially important question for those who have suffered serious trauma at the hands of others. The truth is that people can inflict enough harm upon you so that, whether from the hurt or the shame, you are not able to forgive them. So does that mean that you are cut off from God until you can forgive them? No, not at all. If that were the case, it would be a horrific teaching of works righteousness that you had to earn forgiveness by your work of forgiving perhaps a monster. If you cannot forgive someone, be honest about it. Confess that to the Lord. Tell him the truth. Why? Because if not forgiving someone is a sin, then it is a sin that Jesus died for. For anyone who has trouble forgiving somebody else for whatever reason, do not think that you must change yourself before you can be forgiven. Confess the sin and trust that Christ has paid the price in your place. By His grace, perhaps you will be able to forgive over time. By His grace, certainly you are forgiven for your sins. Whoever you are, Whatever your guilt and shame, know that the price has been paid for your sins. Your debt before God is erased, blotted out. See, so that he might forgive you, God the Father threw his Son not into prison, but onto a cross and into a tomb, so that you might be pardoned and redeemed. The third day and the empty tomb testify that the debt has been paid in its entirety. And so, if Christ is raised from the dead and lives forever, you, debt-free, will be raised from the dead, and you will live forever too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.